Jesus, victorious King over sin through the cross and even over death through the empty tomb. We thought we were done. We thought the story was completely over. We thought there was no way back. And then hope against all hope. As the disciples go and lay their eyes on a tomb that is empty. Jesus, thank you. We glorify you today. We worship you. Like the two Marys that we're going to read about this morning. Who fell at your feet, grabbed your feet. And they worshiped you. This is our only response. This is the only response that makes sense in light of who you are, in light of the reality of what you've accomplished. You have overcome everything that stands against us. You have overcome death itself. And the thing that was meant to end you, the thing that was supposed to be so final, actually becomes your greatest weapon in your hand. Death is turned back against the enemy. And in your hand it becomes life. Resurrection life. That every one of us is invited into. We worship you today. We can't even get our minds around it. Our hearts are so full and there's still not room. There's just no room in our hearts for the kind of joy that you give us because of the reality of this day. We glorify you and we worship you. You are the victorious king and we praise you. We fall at your feet and we worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 He is risen. Yes, he is. And that changes absolutely everything. Everything. Things are not always what they seem. Things are not always what they seem. Uh, recently, my son Sam has gotten into a new habit of collecting. Well, he, he's always collected things like a, as, as long as we can remember in his life. He's, he's five and a half years old. He's always collected things, um, whether that is bottle caps or rocks, all right, that's his absolute favorite is the rocks. He even went through a phase of like getting one of our hole punchers and punching a bunch of holes in all this paper and then collecting the holes in these like Ziploc bags. And man, that was the worst when those spilled out everywhere, all right? But he's in this, he loves collecting. And like I said, his favorite thing for as long as I can remember, his favorite thing to collect are rocks. Well, this past week, he, he kind of took a new twist on that, and he got into our cupboards and stuff and got this big stack of uh, red Solo cups that we had, <laughs> and he starts filling them with all these rocks from our driveway, but he put them out on the side steps and across the front steps, and so our, like, our house is littered with all these red Solo cups, so now everybody's driving by like, man, that pastor knows how to party over there. All right. 
Things are not always what they seem, all right? Come look closer. There are rocks in those cups, all right? Things are not always what they seem. Easter Sunday morning, the disciples woke up. They thought they were waking up to a world that was dark, a world that was empty of hope and joy because of what they witnessed on Friday, because of the silence and the stillness that they had to sit through all day Saturday. But when they wake up on Easter Sunday morning, things are not what they seem to be. The word comes back to them. The tomb is empty. He's not here. He's risen, just like he said he would. Just like he said he would. That is our reality as Christians. We live in the wake of the resurrection of Jesus. And this changes everything for us. We're going to read the account from uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today. And how this describes the resurrection scene. Jesus, be with us as we read your word, as we dig into your word. Speak directly to us. It's your word and not ours. And we need to hear from you today. This is your day. This is your day. You are the king. You've taken the crown for yourself. Last Sunday, we celebrated you as the king as you come into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry. And we lay palms at your feet as as we make that pathway for you into the city. But we had no idea where this story was going to go. And on Friday, they crowned you with a crown of thorns. But on Sunday morning, you took the true crown for yourself through the resurrection. This is your day. This is your day. And we pray that you would be heard and that you would speak clearly to us. We're open and we're obedient. You are our king and we're surrendered to you. See your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, how'd you like to be that one, and the other Mary, (laughs) went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. This is the ancient equivalent of like mic drop moment, all right? Sits on it after rolling the stone away, just for the emphasis. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Love the imagery of that. They became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where they had laid him. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. My job is done. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Love that imagery, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. 
And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Once again, the same command, that same word of encouragement is one of the most frequently repeated commands in all of Scripture. Do not be afraid because of the reality of the resurrection. This seals it for us. Go and tell my brothers, he said, to go to Galilee. There they will see me. A few things I want us to look at this morning. Things that are changed and transformed because of the reality of the resurrection. And once again, we're just going to walk through this passage piece by piece and look at this. What what this tells us about how things are transformed because of the resurrection. The first thing is this. The resurrection changes the way we see God. Last week, as we talked about the triumphal entry... We looked back through the history of Israel and God's salvation history, his history of rescuing his people over and over again. And in that triumphal entry moment, all of the imagery, all of the memory of that is on fire. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, the city of the great kings, the city that King David established as the place of the throne for the kingdom of Israel. And so he's coming into this city. During the time of Passover, remembering how God had set the people free from slavery in Egypt. All of their rescued history coming together in this moment. And we talked about the way that they could not escape all of those memories and the reality of that rescue in their past. They kept looking back at God's glory in the past. They thought back to Noah, how God saved through the ark. They thought about Abraham and Sarah. They thought about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. They thought about Moses. They thought about Joshua. They thought about David. They thought about Ruth. They thought about Esther. All of the ways in which God had saved them and rescued them through their history. But now on this resurrection day, we look back at all of those great stories and we realize that God was just getting started. God was just getting started. This is the ultimate rescue. And this isn't something just simply that happened in the past. It did. It's a real historical event that happened in the past. And Christianity stakes everything on that faith and on that reality. We believe this is a real event, historical event. But we believe it's more than historical. We believe it also paints the future for us and what our future as humanity is. Is This is our hope. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see all of his salvation acts in the past. And it casts forward for us that great hope and vision of the future that he has planned for us. This resurrection of Jesus is promised to be a resurrection for us as well. We stake all of our hope on that. It changes the way we view Jesus. When we read through the Gospels. And we see this incredible teaching of Jesus when we see the way that Jesus acts towards the others around him. When we see the teaching and the love and the life of Jesus, we begin to see them in different ways as we look back through that lens of his crucifixion on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And when we look at his life through that lens, it changes the way we see him. Yes, Jesus is one of the greatest teachers in the history of humanity. Absolutely. But he is more than that. And the resurrection tells us he's more than that. 
Yes, Jesus is one of the most revolutionary leaders in the history of humanity, but the resurrection tells us that Jesus is more than that. As we say here repeatedly, we don't just honor a martyr who gave his life for a worthy cause. We worship the once living, then dead, and now very much alive Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah and the King. We worship him because of who he is, fully human, fully divine, Jesus Christ, the King. It changes the way we see that. So now we look at his teachings in a different way. We look at his life in a different way, and it proves to us that everything that Jesus says, we can bank on it. We can bank on it because repeatedly through the Gospels leading up to this moment, he told them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to lay down my life and then I'm going to pick it back up again. They're going to put me to death and then I'm going to overcome death and I'm going to be raised back from the dead. And they thought he was crazy. They thought he had lost it. But now, in light of the truth of the resurrection, we can look back on everything that Jesus ever said, and we can bank on it 100%. So when he talks about the way that God loves us, we can trust it fully, and the resurrection is proof that when Jesus says it, he's going to come through on it. When he talks about the, the reality that he's always going to be with us, no matter where we go, we can bank everything on it. Because we know Jesus said it, so we can trust it, and the resurrection proves it and when he tells us that he's coming back again we can bank on it we can put our hope in it fully because he said it and we believe it because he proved it in the resurrection it changes completely the way we see him all of christianity hangs on this moment of the resurrection All of Christianity hangs on this moment of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said this himself. If Christ is not risen, then we are fools. If Christ isn't risen, then we are fools. In the chapter right before this, it says the the religious leaders refer to Jesus as the imposter. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if the resurrection isn't real, then Jesus is an imposter. And so are we. We are fake. We are fools. But if the resurrection is real, if the resurrection is real and we believe that it is, then Christianity is real. All of Christianity hangs on this. Christianity is only as true as the resurrection is. Christianity is only as real as the resurrection is. Christianity is only alive as Jesus is. And because Jesus is alive, Christianity is true and we can trust it. Their response, we see this, the response from the women, that they fell down at his feet. They clasped his feet and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Now, what you have to understand is that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is writing uh, intentionally to a Jewish audience. And you can hear it in the language that he uses, in the imagery that he chooses to use, in the things that he chooses to emphasize. You can tell that he's trying to get the message across about who Jesus is to people who have been raised in a Jewish context and people who who are, are living out of that. And so this is really important in that context for the Jewish people to worship anything or anyone that is not truly God. Not a chance, not a chance. They remember their history, the times where they fell into that. They remembered how quickly that went wrong over and over again. 
And this is intentional that he uses this term worship. He's getting across to us the reality of who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher, even though he's excellent. He's not just a leader, even though we're all called to follow him. He is the living son of God. And we worship him because of that. This resurrection story changes the way we see the Holy Spirit as well. It shows us what the Holy Spirit is capable of and what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of us as well. And that should freak us out a little bit. But it should also infuse us with this kind of courage and this hope and this assurance that the Holy Spirit is putting to death in us the old and broken ways and is resurrecting in us new life because of Jesus Christ. As Paul says, we are new creation in him. The resurrection changes the way we see salvation. We look at the cross and our faith absolutely revolves around the cross of Jesus. The cross is central to who we are as Christians and to what we believe. But the cross is not the end of the story. The cross is not the end of the story. We only understand the cross for what it is in light of this, of the resurrection. And the resurrection is the answer to the cross. In the cross, Jesus Christ wins forgiveness for our sins through his sacrificial death. He was pure. He was holy. God himself, the only person to ever walk this earth without sinning. He was without sin and he laid down his life as a perfect sacrifice to give us forgiveness of sin. But through the resurrection, he also brings us freedom from sin and freedom in the reality of our lives. The, the, the resurrection is the answer to what happens on the cross and you cannot separate the two. You cannot separate the two. In the cross, we are forgiven for our old ways. And in the resurrection, we are given a new way to live and a new life through Jesus Christ. We are absolutely honest about the reality of sin. As Christians, we have to be honest about the reality of sin, about the devastating effects of sin, about the devastating reach of sin and the devastating consequences of sin. As Christians, we have to be honest about that. But as Christians, we also have to see fully that the reach of salvation goes further than sin, right? That the power of the victorious grace of Jesus is stronger than sin. And the reach of grace is further than the, farther than the reach of sin. And the reach of grace is deeper. And the, the consequences of grace and the effects of grace run deeper even than the consequences of sin in our lives because the grace of Jesus is stronger. The resurrection also changes the way we see our own circumstances. The resurrection changes the way we see our own circumstances. All of us have been through those moments in our lives, through those low point moments. I've been there. I have been there. And I know that you've been there too. Times when you feel like your faith is about to break. Like the foundations that you've built everything on feel like they are giving way and everything is just sliding. Those moments when it feels like your faith is empty and worthless. And in those moments, we remember how the disciples must have felt on Saturday. They had put all of their hope in Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah. And then they spend Saturday wondering what in the world just happened. 
in the devastating light of the crucifixion. We, we look at the addictions that choke the life out of us, that keep us trapped in these cycles that we just cannot seem to break out of, that hold us prisoners. And we remember that we have a God who knows how to break the chains, even of the hold of death. It changes the way we see everything around us. It changes the way that we view our marriages that are crumbling and collapsing, our families that are broken and on their last breath. And we remember that we have a God who has a resume of resurrection, and he can bring anything (laughs) back from the dead, no matter how far gone it seems. When we lose someone we love, we grieve and we mourn, and that is right for us to do that. Don't just try to press on without entering into the grief in the mourning. Jesus gives us permission to grieve and to mourn. He shows us what it looks like to grieve and to mourn, and he tells us that he's right there beside us as we do that. And then as he moves us through that process of grieving and mourning, then we begin to sense that hope that ridiculous kind of hope that because now of the reality of the resurrection, death no longer gets the last word. Death does not have the last word. Jesus gets the last word. When the cards are stacked against us, when it seems like the system is conspiring against us, when everyone and everything everywhere seems to be against us, we remember that there is one who is for us. Jesus Christ, he's victor victorious even over death that image of the angel rolling the stone away and then sitting on it saying i have overcome nothing can hold him back or hold him in or hold him down nothing nothing it's beautiful i I love another thing that we see here when it tells us that this happens after the sabbath day and on the first day of the week so immediately when we hear that language it places us in kind of the the history of Scripture. And and when we hear that language, it takes me back to uh, the book of Genesis, right? And when we see the creation story and the way that it's laid out in the book of Genesis in chapters 1 and and 2, when it talks about how God created. And it says on the sixth day, that's when God finishes his work. And then on the seventh day, he rests. On the sixth day, he finishes his work of creation, and on the, sixth, on the seventh day, he rests. We have that echoed right here in this passage in the way that the crucifixion and the resurrection play out. Because sin enters into that perfect creation and into that world, and the world becomes a fallen place, and humanity is fallen and broken because of sin, now we see the way that God is redeeming that. And Jesus Christ goes to the cross and says the words, it is finished on what day of the week? The sixth day on Friday. And on the seventh day, where is he? He is in the tomb. On the sixth day, he says, it is finished. The work is complete. On the seventh day, he is resting. And when we wake up on the first day, it's a new creation. We have entered into a new week and we are in a new creation because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. The resurrection also changes the way we see each other. It changes the way we see each other. One of the things I love so much about this passage is the change of power dynamic 
that we see in the passage. We think that it should go one way, but it completely gets flipped, right? So we get Mary Magdalene and the other Mary who come to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, and they get to become the first witnesses of the resurrection. And not just the first witnesses, but Jesus commissions them to go and to become the first messengers of the resurrection as well. As one of the ancient church fathers put it, he says, they become the apostles to the apostles. As Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go and take the message of the resurrection to the other disciples. The thing that is so powerful about this and so beautiful about this is, as, as we've said many times before here, in this day and in this time, in this culture, even though it pains us to say it, we have to be realistic about this day and time. In this day and time, women had zero rights. Zero rights. They were simply seen as the property of whoever was the most important male figure in their lives, whether that was their father or until they got married, then it was their husband. That is how this culture viewed women. In fact, in this culture, a woman's word was not even permissible in court. You couldn't call a, a woman as a witness in court because they felt that their word uh, that, that couldn't be trusted. Okay? That it carried no weight. And yet Jesus, in his brilliance, in his genius, and completely intentionally calls women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection and to be the first messengers of the resurrection. The linchpin doctrine that all of Christianity hangs on is first given to two people whose words wouldn't even count in court. And he says to you, take this message, and then from there, begin to let it spread throughout the world. And it's never stopped since. It's never stopped since. Jesus takes the people that we think are nobodies, and he infuses them with this power. People that feel like they have no power, no influence at all, no voice. And he says, you're going to be my voice. You think you have no voice with the people around you? You're going to be my voice, and you're going to speak for me. The, re, the resurrection creates unlikely witnesses and gives influence and voice and power to the powerless. And it changes the way that we see each other. You might be sitting there right now thinking, I have no position. I have no power. God doesn't want to use me to spread his word. I have no position, no power. That's not an excuse. In fact, it's precedent that God does want to use you, and he will use you. He loves to do that. He loves to do that. It changes the way we see it. We see the guards who were supposed to be the strong figures, right, in this story versus the women who would have been supposedly the weak figures, according to people first hearing this and reading this story in this culture. The Roman guards trained, heavily armed, knowing exactly what they're doing, these killing machines versus these women who came to the tomb. And I love what it says. It's the guards who fall down in fear like dead men. And it's the women who are given the message of resurrection life. Love the contrast of that. It's shocking the way Jesus raises us up and gives voice. and says, you don't, you don't think you have any voice. I want you to be my voice. I want you to be my voice. To the women, the angel says, do not be afraid. 
to the guards, the angel's like, yeah, you got a lot of reason to be afraid. <laughs> Stay right where you're at. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The strong ones in the story collapse like dead men in fear, and the supposedly weak walk away with the message of resurrection and, in fact, meet the resurrection himself face to face, collapse at his feet, and worship him. The first ones to do that. And the resurrection finally changes the way we see our failures. There's one thing that Jesus says here that just grabs my heart. Absolutely, I, I love this word that he speaks to the women when he says, do not be afraid. There's so much hope in that. And there's so much power in that. But there are two small words in Jesus' statement here that really grab me. The resurrection changes the way we see our failures. Because what Jesus says to, to the women is this, I want you to go to my brothers. I want you to go to my brothers and tell them the news and tell them where to go so that they can see me. I love the fact that Jesus calls them his brothers. There's so much tenderness there. There's so much affection there. But there's also this strength of a covenant kind of friendship and a family kind of bond that says, listen, I know that you failed me. I know that we were together around the table and you're telling me that it doesn't matter what happens. You're going to fight for me to the death, that you're never going to let me down. And the first moment that the pressure gets turned up, you cave, you deny me, you run and hide, you scatter. You're nowhere to be found when I need you the most. Jesus could have easily said, go tell those traitors that they were wrong. Go tell those failures that they screwed up majorly this time. No, no, no. Go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. The resurrection changes the way we see our own failures. Because the reality of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross brings us that forgiveness and it's sealed in this power of the resurrection and it tells us that there is nothing that cannot be redeemed. There is nothing that cannot be redeemed in your life. It changes even the way we see our failures. And these people who were deniers, these people who scattered, these people who fled when Jesus needed them the most, they bailed on him. They broke. They were weak. Jesus says, go tell my brothers. I love them. I love them. Our bond cannot be broken. Their sin is not stronger than my love. Our bond cannot be broken, and my victory swallows up even their failures. Same is true for us. Same is true for us. As we close this morning, I want us to go back to the table where Jesus was with his disciples for that last time before they broke and before they scattered. I want us to go back to that table and remember what he sealed with them there. And what it means that he's inviting them back into this relationship, even though they failed him. As a church this morning, we're going to share in communion. And we're going to remember that meal, but we're going to eat it today in a completely different light. It takes on a completely different light in the dawn of resurrection day. Jesus said to his disciples that night, this bread 
is like my body, broken to make you whole. Then he took the cup at the table and he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant poured out for the salvation of the world. Every time you drink of it, remember what I have done. As we share in this meal together this morning. The last time we shared this together on Friday night at the Good Friday service There was this heavy shadow of sorrow over us as we shared it. But today, this morning, in the light of Easter Sunday morning, in the reality of the resurrection, we share it as a celebration feast. The feast of the victorious and conquering king of grace, whose love could not be held back, could not be held down, could not be held in, not even by a tomb, not even by death itself. In just a moment, we're going to invite you forward to share in this. As you come forward, we invite you to tear off a piece of the bread representing the body of Christ. No little tiny crumbs, no crumbs in the kingdom, all right? Tear off a big piece. This is a celebration feast of victory. Dip it in the cup and taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember what he has won for you through his death and his resurrection. For some of you today, this is a celebration and remembering what has already been sealed in your heart. For others of you, you are not yet followers of Jesus, and this morning is the time that you want to make that declaration. And you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to walk with this king who has overcome and has promised to overcome for me and in me. As well, if you want to do that, then as you come forward today, we're going to have two people on either side who are going to be here to pray. Allison and Nancy are going to be here to pray with you. Please step to the side of the line and speak to them and tell them that you want to make this decision. And they will pray for you as you make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus. For others of you, there are places in your life where you need the resurrection of the resurrection power of Jesus to be victorious chains that you have around you that need to be broken that you know you cannot break on your own and you need the power of the one who could overthrow death to work in your life then i invite you also to step out of the line and grab nancy or allison and ask them to pray with you as well if there's any other reason that you need prayer this morning they will be here and and, and would be happy and thrilled to pray with you in that We're going to invite you to come in just a moment here. If you have not invited Jesus Christ into your heart, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, then today is the day for you. This is the day of celebration and the day that celebrates his victory over sin for the world and for you. For you. I encourage you to embrace that today. If you embrace Jesus Christ as king, then you are invited to come and enjoy the king's feast, a feast of celebration because he has overcome. Amen. You can come to this side for communion or you can come to this side. And if you need a gluten-free option, then it will be available on this side. The table is open.